Well, it is good to see you. Uh, we, we started a series last week, Pastor Brett was with us, and we started a series on these parables that Jesus teaches. And, and last week we talked about soil, and hopefully that was an encouraging, maybe challenging moment for you to consider the, the kind of state of your heart. You know, what happens when, when the Word of God hits your soul? Do you respond hard-heartedly? Ho- hopefully not, that's not the case. Or do, do you, you know, we, we looked at the different dispositions that you could have um, with your soul. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about agriculture because that's what Jesus talked about. Um, but I wanted to ask this question to kind of frame the conversation um, as, we, as we listen to what Jesus says. What are you hoping in? Big picture, small picture, what are you hoping in? Maybe you've got a dream uh, that, that kind of lives out here and you're, you're trying to make steps towards it and this dream is something that you hope for. You know, maybe it's, it's some sort of academic dream or it's, it's a, an employee dream or it's a family dream or it's a finance dream. What, what is it that, that picks you up in the morning and pulls you out of bed and, and, and guides you forward? Um, as we look at the parable, I want you to, you, to consider the, the people and the places and the things that bring you hope. And, and I want you to think about, you know, the people that you interact with that, that your hope goes up and, and the things that you do where your hope goes up and, and the, the stuff that you have where your hope goes up. You know, the, the new iPhone came out. This is going to fix everything. Um, or, you know, once I get married, everything's going to be fixed. Or once my kids get out of school, you know, or go back into school, things will be fixed. Whatever, whatever it is that brings you hope, I want you to think about it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to color it good or bad. I just want you to hold it out before God as we consider the things that we hope in. And if, and if you come to church today and you're, you're feeling hopeless, I, would, I, I want to encourage you that, that there's hope for you, that God has real hope for you today. Um. So open your Bibles to Matthew 13. We're going to stand. Uh, if you're new, we, we stand and we read the Bible together here in Sterling as a way of showing respect and reverence for the Word and as a way of engaging our own bodies and our souls uh, as we hear what God has to say to us. So this is Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us, that you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, and and we thank you that you give us hope, that you give us a hope that extends beyond this life and this time, that you give us a hope that, that draws us into eternity, a hope that anchors us in a deep reality, and a hope that, that frames and gives perspective to all the things that we experience, both good and bad. So God, I pray that right now that you would buy your, your spirit and your word drive down into our souls and, and unearth the things that we hope in that are not you. And, and in, in those places that you would place a hope in God, a hope in a God whose small beginnings always end in a big finish. 
Lord God, I pray that you would give us faith eyes to see the big finish when we look at the small beginnings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I gave kind of an allusion to the fact that Jesus is, is talking about small beginnings and, and big finishes. And if we had gone on, we could read about the, the leaven, and it's a similar kind of thing where Jesus talks about a, a small thing having eventually a very large impact. He talks about this, this seed and this one seed. Now, it, it's interesting... If, if you grew up in church, you, maybe you've, you've heard this parable, but I want you to kind of set aside your, your, your memories and, and maybe your, your associations and, and try to hear it like they would have heard it more openly and, and for the first time. He, he starts and he says uh, in, in verse 31, he put a parable for them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. There's some weird things about that statement. He, he starts off and says he takes a grain, one grain of a mustard. And, and again, when I first read this, I was like, okay, Jesus is talking about grain, blah, blah, blah. But it's weird that he's sowing one seed. You know, when I, uh, when I look at my townhouse and the plot of, of yard that exists there, there are some spots where the grass is missing um, because Northern Virginia and also because me. Um, the combination makes for a... Uh, my yard. <laughs> and, and so there have been times, few and far between, but there have been times where I've tried to grow grass. And I'll tell you, as, as brown-thumbed as I am, as poor as I am, as, as, as motivated or anointed as I am in, in killing plants, I did not just go and take one, one plant, one, one seed, and just go, all right, I've done it. I might as well have because it looks about like that, but I didn't. I really tried. I bought the whole thing, the distribution thing, and this is how much I know about the cedar. Not the, okay, we're going to move on. I I have a cedar. It is in my shed. That is the end of that story. The point is, I, I, I didn't just take one seed. And it's, it's worth noting that Jesus does say he takes one grain, and we'll talk about the kind of grain he takes, but he takes one grain of this particular kind of seed. Now, it's, it's important. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is giving us pictures so that we can understand what God is doing through Jesus' ministry. What is, what is Jesus trying to accomplish? And the reality is the disciples and, and really the people around them when they thought about a Messiah, when they thought about a, a religi- religious leader, they had, they had these uh, ideas, these uh, prejudices about what this was going to look like. They were expecting a mighty king, a ruler, after, after King David, who, who in, his, in his apex was, was the greatest of kings. And, and Jesus says, no, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this mustard seed, this, this one seed. And and what he's trying to say here is that, is that there's one kingdom. There, there aren't multiple kingdoms. There aren't multiple plans that God has. He has this one plan that he's trying to accomplish. Now, when, when you and I come into the Christian faith, sometimes we can come with some ideas. You know, I have an idea, God. Why don't we make the kingdom like this? You know, why don't we make the kingdom like, I understand you have these 
these demands, these, these uh, morals that you want me to follow, the, these ways of living that you want me to follow, but, but what if we just changed these a little bit? What if my marriage didn't have to be quite like this? I, but what if I didn't have to forgive all the time and just, you know, some of the time, what I wanted to forgive, and, and when I didn't want to forgive, that was okay. You know, what if God, uh, what if my, my kingdom, our kingdom, your kingdom, you know, whose kingdom is it really? Um, what if our kingdom w- was run this way? And Jesus starts and he says, the kingdom of God is like a grain, a grain, this, this one singular grain. When you and I join the kingdom of God, we become citizens, not kings. And that's a good thing. Because if I can't even handle my own yard, imagine me trying to handle a kingdom. And, and as good as we all might be at superintending our own lives, there's one who's much better at managing the kingdom. Christianity isn't primarily about making your life better. When, when the apostles, after Jesus died, they, they, they began to preach the gospel, they began to give the testimony that was entrusted to them, and, and the church began to grow, but then persecution come, came. What did they do? Did, did they change the message? You know, we need this message. It's not really pulling well with, with the, the Romans and the pagans. We should change it so that everyone will like it, and then we can all sell like some shirts with Jesus on it, and we'll do well. No, they, they preached the gospel that caused them to be martyred. The early church was continually martyred to the point that, that the saying became popular, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Christianity is not about you. He brings you in. He, he saves us. He redeems us to a relationship with the Father. But it's not about us having our own kingdom. Christianity is about living under the reality that there is one seed There's one kingdom of heaven and there is one king. But he doesn't just say it's one seed. He he describes it as what? One small seed. I'll read it one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And and they would have understood it. And he says it in verse 32. It's the smallest of all seeds. And, And for those who are pedantic scientists, the smallest of all seeds that they knew of in that context as agricultural individuals. They didn't have the encyclopedia or Wikipedia to, to fact check this. This was just a common, anyways. So if that's a hang up that you have or that you've heard, read it in the context it was written. He, he goes on to say it's one small seed. Again, Jesus does this thing where, where he takes people's expectations and he kind of says, that's wrong. And then he says, this is what it's actually like. And, and we might not necessarily see that at the beginning, but if you were to look at the Old Testament, there, well, at least in my search, and, and if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me, but in my search, there are zero mentions of the mustard seed. Zero men- mentions of a mustard plant in the Old Testament. None. And I think the reason is, is because there was nothing particularly special about it. It, it was used for spices, but, but it, wasn't, it, it wasn't really, it isn't really even a tree. He describes it as a tree because it grows up to that height, but really it's, it's kind of a big bush. Um, it's a plant that grows into a big bush. When you look at the Old Testament and you think of words like, like strong and mighty and great and powerful, and you think of something that embodies it, the, the, the writers of the Old Testament would use like the cedars of Lebanon. I mean, these were, these were 
trees that would grow, they can grow up above 100, 100 feet, 130, something like that. They can have huge trunks and very strong branches. So imagine being one of the disciples and you're listening to Jesus talk and, and, and he says, you know, there's this seed. And they're like, yeah, like one of the cedars. He's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, we're going to talk about a, a cedar of Lebanon or a, a palm or something powerful and strong. And he says, it's like this, you know, herbaceous bush. And you're like, what? In what way, Jesus? With respect to what? The mustard plant isn't in a tree. It, it, it was probably kind of confusing. You know, you would have had the, one of these moments like, like some of them would have been confused and some of them, like prob- I imagine Peter was listening and he was like, no, don't say that right now, Jesus. I think people are going to act like you're, they're going to think you're dumb or crazy. You know, that's clearly not what you meant. You know, he had this like, I, let me help you. And sometimes we approach God and we're like, well, let me help you with what this says. I don't think that's what you meant to say, Jesus, in the Bible. But uh, maybe this is what you meant. And, and sometimes when we think about the kingdom of heaven, it can look unimpressive and, and sh- even shameful to us. And it's funny because we, we live life and in, in, in you and I oftentimes find ourselves wanting to obey God, but also wanting to live a life free of shame, free of humility, free of humiliation, free of all of these things. But when you look at the Bible, when you look at the actual data about the people who follow Jesus Christ, it's, it's shameful. Instead of glory, we get humiliation. Instead of, instead of a royal wedding and, and, a, and, a, and a royal uh, uh, baby uh, shower, you get a scandal with a, a, a young, unmarried mom. I mean... Don't, don't be naive. People were, people were whispering about Jesus. Oh, oh, yeah, immaculate conception. I can tell you anyways. Yeah, that, that, that's the conversation that was being had. This was not grand and glorious. Instead, it was, it was shameful. Instead of a powerful king or warrior, we get this humble teacher who... who Describes himself as a person who doesn't have a place to lay his head, who, who doesn't necessarily carry around enough money to pay the taxes, and so he goes and fishes, which is kind of a neat trick. But still, he, he, he doesn't strike you as this grand warrior king. And he ultimately dies a criminal's death. I mean, a horrible criminal's death. And, and it's easy for us to, to come to Jesus and be like, yeah, but he was the son of God. So, I mean, clearly they were wrong, we were right, and... And we don't feel the shame. But if you, if you allow yourself for a moment to consider the arc of the disciples and their following, they kind of got it, kind of didn't get it. You see it in Peter and the way he reacts when Jesus says certain things. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And he's like, no, you're not going to die. You can't die. You know, and, and the people come to arrest Jesus and he's like, well, I'll cut this guy with my dagger. And, and he just, he didn't see the fact that the kingdom of heaven looked unimpressive, but was going to produce something that he never could have imagined. He, he wanted to start with impressive. And when we, when we consider our own lives, sometimes we want to go through the glorious aspect without coming down into the humiliation aspect. And in the life of Christ, you see this, this arc. I should do it this way for you guys. For me, it's like, anyways, I'm a nerd. You have this arc where he comes from heaven pretty glorious place to be, pretty glorious position to have, and he humbles himself 
And, and Paul says he humbles himself to the, the status of a servant, to a, a slave. Uh, having perfect... Have you ever been in worship and you've just, you've been praising God and you've been worshiping him and you just feel full and happy and joyful in yeah. just like a moment yeah. and then it, you know, you get hungry and it fades away or something like that <laughs> or you have an angry thought and it just passes. That, that feeling of joy and communion with God is like a mist in an ocean of the thing that, that Jesus swam in in eternity. He, he was in perfect community, perfect communion with his father and the Holy Spirit. And he left that to be on earth. He left that to be human in a, in a time where they didn't have showers and things like that. And, and he left that to be humiliated and disbelieved. I mean, if you're a parent and your, your kid, you know, you say something and they don't believe you, you know, something rises up and you're like, you, you know, righteous, you need to believe me. Imagine the God of the universe and people are like, nah, you don't understand. Yeah, I do understand. <laughs> and and, and he, he has this arc of humiliation before he's glorified. Now, he, the glorification comes, and if you read Revelation and you see him coming and the robe dipped in blood and the sword coming, I mean, he's coming. That way, he's coming like a warrior, he's coming like a king, but, but in this moment, there's this, this humbleness, this humility about it that they didn't quite understand, and, and it was a small mustard, it wasn't a cedar, it was a small mustard seed. Sometimes the kingdom of heaven, can, can, it can look small to you. It can look small to me. When you go and you wake up in the morning and you open up your Bible and, okay, today I'm in what, Chronicles 22? Okay, and you start reading and you're like, this is small. That's what your heart says. You know, you feel like this is, what impact is this having on my soul? You pray, God, you know, you, you have a fight with a friend or a spouse or, you know, you, you have this, this issue with your kid and all you can pray is, God, help me. And you're like, that's a small seed. It's gonna do nothing. But the thing about it is, is that's the way God works. Yes. He works in the small things. Because it's a small seed sown by God. Now, he doesn't specifically say in the parable it was sown by God. It says a man sowed a seed. But, but the point is that God is doing something. Certainly God is establishing his kingdom. Jesus, in fact, says it in Matthew four seventeen: The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he began his ministry, he was saying, hey guys, the kingdom of heaven that you've been waiting for, it is here. Maybe not in its fullness, not in its consummation, but it is here, it has come, and and it is being established. It was one small seed sown by God. There there are so many instances where we look at the people that God uses, and you you say, that's a small seed, but then God shows up in his power. You know, Moses, this this kind of self-righteous, Jewish, Egyptian boy, knows it all, kind of feels some, some entitlement because he, raised, he was raised rich in, in the Pharaoh's household, and yet he, he also wants to connect with his roots because he sees his people being hurt and persecuted, so he kills a man and, and then gets frustrated and upset because that, that person doesn't respect him and goes and, and works for 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. That, that is not a picture of awesomeness. You know, when, when I think of what, you know, what would my best life now be? I don't think of that. 
I don't think of being a shepherd after being 40 years in this, this tension that he experienced. Or you think of, of Joshua. You think of, uh, of, of King David, right? He, he's anointed king, but here's how he's anointed. All the other sons go before the, the prophet. He's doing his work, and his dad's like, nah, either he forgets that he has David as a son, or he says, David is certainly not qualified for this. And I mean, just imagine that household. Um, why can't you be, you know, I, I don't want to imagine what kind of whatever that would have been like. And, and, and he is anointed as king and then persecuted. You're like, wait a second. I thought I was anointed as king. You are, but there's already, another, there's still another king. Maybe we should have waited until he was dead before you anointed me as king. I could have waited because Saul certainly could have waited. He just, he's not happy about it. But these were men, and, and there were men and women who, whose lives were small seeds sown by God. Where we see power, not because they were awesome, but because God was the one sowing the seed. And in Jesus Christ, the seed of the kingdom was sown by the king himself. So we see in Jesus Christ, we see humility, we see humiliation, we see suffering, we see shame. And yet, the power of God, the ultimate power of God to raise him from the dead. One small seed sown by God. When, when you and I look at the kingdom of heaven in our own lives, sometimes we just stop at the seed. And we say, ugh, I read my Bible today, but it did not take. You know, by 12 o'clock, we're like still cursing and saying mean things to our co-workers and and, and we, we treat those things as, as just small seeds. But, but my, my encouragement to you is that God wants to raise your faith yeah. to see these things as small seeds with, with small beginnings but big ends. I heard it said this way by, you know, when I did youth ministry, they, they would say, you, you always overestimate what, what you can accomplish in one year and underestimate what you can accomplish in five and sometimes when we're, we're making small steps, we just feel like we're not going anywhere. And God's at work. And I would keep doing this for, for uh, impact, but we'd be here for a lot longer than we need to be. But the point is, eventually, you get over here, and you look back and you, you remember, you're like, wait a second, I was over there. Yeah. And, and sometimes we want this wham, bam, quick experience of God's power and God says no it's it's in the small yes. trudging where I'm going to move and, and if we miss that then we'll have expectations of our life that are out of line with with reality but if we if we can grasp hold of that then we can savor and appreciate the power of God in the small things when when your kid says yes instead of no you can praise God <laughs> Some, for some of us, that's like a leap, so I get it. When, when, your spouse, when your spouse chooses to say, I'm sorry, even if they say it in this way, God's at work. When you say it to your I'm sorry, God's at work. When you go to your office and, and you, you start a conversation with one of your coworkers about the gospel and they don't get saved, but you had a conversation about the gospel, God is at work. Yeah. 
When you repent, God is at work. When you read your Bible, God is at work. When you pray, God is at work. When you listen to a sermon, God is at work. When you, when you spend time in a small group and nothing seems to happen, you, God is at work. When you pray and you don't immediately see a pound, you know, a big pile of cash right there, God is still at work. It may be small, but the, the sower is strong. Because of this, the small seed transforms into a big plant that provides a place for rest. So if we read verse 32 again, it says this, it is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. You know, there's a primary meaning that Jesus was trying to get at in this application that we've been talking about. And again, put yourself in the position of the disciples. So they hear this message. They're like, okay, kingdom of God, awesome. It's, you know, it's going to get big and that's great. I don't know if they really got the smallness of it and the bigness of it. It doesn't say in Matthew that he really explains it. They don't even really ask. So they're like, yeah, we get that one. But seriously, go back to the one about the soil because we didn't understand that at all. And, and they progress. This is kind of the middle, the middle of Jesus's ministry. And, and they, it progresses and it progresses until the point where he get, gets crucified and, and they freak out. They're like, well, Jesus is dead. And we quit our jobs to follow him. So, man, they, they felt defeated. They felt stupid, foolish. You know, look, we followed that guy and he just, imagine Peter. I mean, he should have listened to me. Should have let me stab those people and we could have fought him or create this scenario. Like, what, what was that even about? And then Jesus comes back from the dead and they have a party and they, yeah, we, we always believed it. We were right. It was awesome. And then they, I just, I just imagine, and I'm, I'm speculating, but, but I just imagine God bringing that to mind again. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows. And you see in Acts, the church growing exponentially. Now, the mustard seed, again, it's not a tree, but he says that this small, small, small seed will produce a huge plant that, that allows birds to nest. Now, the Old Testament does talk about birds nesting on trees, but it was usually talking about cedars. If you look at Ezekiel and Daniel, the prophets started to talk about it, and the picture was of a nation being big enough and strong enough to be able to be a resting place for other nations. And so, Jesus was predicting and saying, my kingdom, it's going to be a kingdom that encompasses all the nations. Yes. It's going to be a kingdom that can support all the nations. Yes. And Luke ends Acts by saying the gospel, you know, went out to all the world. Yes. Now, clearly his idea of all the world was different from the, ge- you know, geographical all of the world, but, but Christianity has impacted most, if not all of the world, maybe not every single tongue and tribe. We're still working on that but it's, it's impacted every nation and, and most every culture and it's, it's one of the most powerful kingdoms that exists on the world, in the world. God was at work in this big finish he, and he moves from small to big. 
We can't skip small to get to big. You, you remember when you were a kid and you were like, I can't wait till I'm so-and-so's age and I can't wait until I get to this age and I can't, until you get to be a, an adult and you're like, I wish someone else could just manage my life. Can I be small again? We, we don't appreciate the small until we've gone through it and we get to big and we're like, oh, I see. That, you know, it wasn't so bad eating snack packs and playing video games. Um... We, we can want to skip ahead, but there's a purpose in, in the smallness that God has for us sometimes. Sometimes when you and I don't see the, the plant, the fruition of God at work in our life, um, our temptation to say is the plant is dead. Now, if I'm planting a real seed, that's probably true. But that's because I'm the sower. But when God is at work and he plants a seed... We, we, we have faith in the God who plants the seed. We, we have faith in, in the power of God in the seed. This is why we can look at our kids and, and we can have faith and hope. Not because of our own ability to parent well, because most of us are not really great parents, if we're being honest, and we have a parenting panel after service so we can all just kind of commiserate and see what the Bible says. But, but our faith is not in our kids because as cute and wonderful and sweet as they are, they're sinners just like Adam. And, and so our faith in a world where it's like one sinner marries another sinner and they, they have four or five little sinners. <laughs> it sounds like a really bad uh, sitcom. But, but God is at work yeah. because God is the one who, whose seed is there. Paul describes it this way in, in Philippians. He looks at the Philippian church and he says, you know what? I see God at work. And he says, he who began a good and work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I, w- I want to step back to the question I asked at the beginning. What do you hope in? Because my, my thought is that if, if you're not hoping in God and his power and his work, then you're, you're trusting and hoping in something else. And really, there's, there's, there's only one kingdom. There, there's one king and really one source of hope. You, you can hope in your employment until you get fired or laid off. You can hope in, t- in, in your marriage until you find out that you're both pretty hard-headed. You can hope in your parenting until your child decides just to do what your child wants to do, regardless of what you want them to do. There are so many situations where we, we kind of feel like things are going okay, so I'm going to put my trust and my, my rest and my peace in this thing. But we forget the fact that these things are temporary. And, and the hope that God calls us to is not a, it's not a temporary hope. In fact, it's the opposite. It looks temporary. It looks small. It looks weak. It looks uh, ineffective. But it's the opposite. It is powerful. It is effective. It is eternal. What are you hoping in? Are you looking to something in creation to do only what your creator can do? You know, being married is great. Having friends is great. Going to church is great. Having children is great. None of these things were ever intended to bring you ultimate anchoring, lasting hope. And the psalmist says it in Psalm... 73, I believe it is. Sorry, I didn't write this down, so we're all on a ride together. Psalm 
Yeah, Psalm 73. Uh, he, he's, he's looking at all the things that are happening that are bad and, and how the wicked are, are, are succeeding. And then he, at, at one point, he's, he finally turns around and he says this, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me in glory. These other hopes, they're not going to receive you in glory. They're not going to say, you've done it, come here. They will die with you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart and my friends and my family and my parents and my children and my employment and my country and my ethnicity and my socioeconomic situation and my house and my stuff and my latest iPhone, they will fail me. But God is the strength of my heart, my hope, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What do you hope in? Have you looked at the seed and appreciated what God is doing? Because there's, there's one kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. There's one king, Jesus Christ. And he's going to finish what he starts. 